Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you, and uh, for those of you who are here and those of you who are joining online, I really appreciate y'all taking the time to be here. We're starting a new series, as uh, you heard Steve say. Uh, But before I get into reading Colossians, I want to use an illustration. I'm going to start with this illustration, and hopefully I can bring it back. Otherwise, it's going to be a very weird illustration. Uh, How many of you have ever heard of a restaurant called The Velvet Taco? You've heard of it? Uh, well, I remember when, the, when I was at church one day and Katie, someone said, you got to try the Velvet Taco, and my face immediately like kind of <laughs> squinched up because my mental picture is a velvet fabric and of a taco, and that just is a terrible uh, mental picture. And I asked, I was like, uh, and, you know, and, and he could tell my face kind of squirmed. He's like, no, seriously, it's really good. And I said, well, what's with the name? And he said, well, they make Tex-Mex, and they also make great red velvet cake. And so that's why they're called the Velvet Taco. And I don't really think of Mexican food and red velvet cake very often, but I remembered immediately hearing that and going, that's the kind of restaurant that I would have if I had a restaurant. I'm not ever gonna have a restaurant. That's never gonna happen. But if I did, I would name it my signature dish. Because that's my big thing. Anytime Catherine and I are trying to pick where we're gonna eat, I don't pick a restaurant and then go pick, what do I wanna eat there? I think of what I wanna eat and then I pick the restaurant, right? How many of y'all are, y'all are like that? You know, part of the reason I don't ever go eat at BJ's or very often is because the menu is like a textbook. You know, it's like the menu is this thick and there's a million options. And I want to go somewhere where you tell me, are your burgers great? Okay, then when I'm feeling like eating burgers, I'm going to your place. Are your enchiladas great? Okay, then when I feel like eating enchiladas, I'm going to your place. And so I, I'm using this analogy to uh, ask the question that I'm going to come back to, which the question is, what is it that you are known for. You know, a restaurant, hopefully this restaurant is known for having really good tacos and having really good velvet cake. But the, the idea of the thing that you are trying to instill, whether it's your restaurant or in your organization as your culture, it's something you don't just get to name it that and then all of a sudden that's the thing. So let's say I wanted to be a, a football coach at a high school and I wanted our slogan to be about toughness or something. You know, I wanted our phrase to be about being a tough, gritty team. I don't get to just paint toughest team in Texas on our locker room and then all of a sudden we're the toughest team. You know, that's, that's not how it works. You don't just get to ride it up there. It's something that takes development of time and culture and doing things and repeating yourself. I mean, if anybody's ever listened to a coach before, that's their job is literally to repeat themselves over and over, saying the same things, not because they only know this much, it's because they're trying to ingrain something in you. And whatever that thing they're repeating is the thing that they've picked to try and ingrain that culture of what their team is going to be known for. Obviously, with this, the restaurant is the Velvet Taco is what they're known for. What do you, what do you, when you think of Bucky's, what do you think they're known for? Uh, I don't know. All of you may have a different opinion of what Bucky's is known for, being really crowded, uh, having the T-shirts. But Bucky's actually started where Lake Jack in Lake Jackson, where Catherine and I grew up, or Catherine grew up, and where we met. And uh, the thing that they were originally trying to be best known for was having the cleanest bathrooms of, of any gas station. That's what they wanted to be known for. When you walk into our gas station, you don't have to worry about walking into the bathroom and kind of like having a small panic attack. So, anyway. Hold on to that illustration. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to it. Before we read our uh, letter, or the beginning of the letter to Colossians, I'm going to do, uh, thankfully Steve set this up perfectly, but I'm going to try and have a tradition where every time we read a New Testament letter, 
I remind us and we remind ourselves that this is in fact a letter written from someone to a group of people. And the way I'm going to do that is by reading a letter. And this letter I picked because I think it's appropriate for our Memorial Day weekend. This is a famous letter called the Bixby letter. Some of you may know the name. Some of you, whenever you hear me read it, are going to know that you're familiar with it. And so let's read. This is a letter from Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Executive Mansion, Washington, November 21st, 1864. Dear Madam, I have been shown in the files of the War Department a statement of the adjunct, the Adjutant General of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any words of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering to you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the Republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and the lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. It's a pretty powerful message, right? I mean, it, hopefully it, you get emotional thinking about a letter like that from, a, from the president to a mother. And so I want to use this letter to teach two ground rules for whenever we read New Testament letters, two very important ground rules. One, this letter was written by a person, Abraham Lincoln, to a person, Lydia Bixby, in 1864 during the Civil War. And that is the context in which this letter was written. And if you were to change the name and say that Abraham Lincoln was writing this letter to me, it would not make any sense. I don't have five sons. I am not a mother of five sons. I did not live during the Civil War. And also, to take that a step further, there are quite a few words in this letter that we don't usually use nowadays. I mean, this beautiful writing that we see, or even four score and seven years ago, our founding fathers established this great nation. You know, those, those kind of words, we don't necessarily use them very often anymore because it's a different time, different context. And so the first thing we have to remember is that we have this unique letter that we're getting to read. And even though it's not addressed to me, anyone who reads this can no doubt be inspired to want to be thankful for the men and women who have given their lives for our freedom, right? This letter wasn't written to me, but it, it, it inspires transformation in my life. It makes me want to be thankful. It makes me want to be grateful for all the, the sons and the brothers and the, the wives and the mothers and fathers who not only have lost their life for our freedom, but also have sacrificed their sons and their family members so that we can have freedom. And you feel that inside of you. And so this is the two ground rules that are both true about our New Testament letters that we read. Each letter is set in a context. Paul, he did not, when he wrote the letter to Colossians, he did not realize he was writing a letter that was going to be read for thousands of years afterwards. He didn't, you know, he didn't have a publisher say to him, hey, you know, we're, we're making a thing called the New Testament, and we hope that, you know, you'll write a letter to, Col to Colossae so we can put it in there. He wasn't thinking that at all. He was writing a letter to this church in this particular context, in this setting, full of all sorts of cultural things that in a lot of the letters we have in the New Testament, we have a hard time realizing. But guess what? The church... 
collectively, the body of Christ back then was so moved by the transformational words and message in those letters that they said, we've got to keep these. We've got to preserve these and pass these on. So that even though the context will change, we're a church reading Colossians where we don't have much familiarity with the Medi ancient Mediterranean, whether the time period or the location. But the truths of the letters that we will get to read will always matter to us in 2021, in 2050, in the year 3000, wherever we are, in Clifton, Texas, New York City, Florida, Mexico, New Orleans, wherever we are. And so we have to remember those two things. Is when we read these letters, our goal is to find the way to understand what Paul is saying to those people that's specific to them, and then the heart of the message we can take and apply and say, how does that apply to us, and how can that transform our lives and our faith? So um, with that in mind, and I'll, I'm planning on, if I can, every time we read a New Testament letter, I'm going to try my best to find ways to remind us of this truth because it's really important. So if you have your Bible and you would, turn with me to Colossians 1. And today we're just going to read Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Set the stage of kind of who's writing and to who. And then I have two points that I kind of want to talk about. Uh, we normally start our letter where we'll say, dear person we're writing to, dear Catherine, and then we end with, you know, with love or sincerely Drew or Andrew or whatever. But here, uh, letters back then, they'd start with the person who was writing the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ in our, on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So that's the section we're going to be reading today. And I, I'm going to try and give you some context, but this is one of Paul's letters that he wrote while he was in prison in Rome. And part of the idea, most, many of Paul's letters he wrote to churches he founded. But what we can see from this passage is we have this where he talks about, you learned the gospel from Epaphras. So we get this cool idea, by the way, what a name, you know, just making it more difficult on preachers like us to have to say it over and over. But the idea is that Paul was in Ephesus, near Colossae, preaching and teaching the good news. And Epaphras heard it, decided to become a Christian, and took it with him and planted this church in Colossae. I'm a youth minister, and I think of the kids that I got to mentor to. I see, when, anytime I get a picture from one of those kids, it's like seeing a picture of my own children. It makes me so proud. And to imagine one of them hearing about Jesus from me and then going and planting a church somewhere, like I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Whenever you see people that you mentored and ministered going and starting a church. And so what's happened is Paul is in prison and this church, this young, newly started church that Paul didn't even plant in, in Colossae, 
Epaphras has come and, and met Paul in prison and said, hey, there's kind of some pressures and some things that our young church is facing. Would you mind writing a letter for me, sending it so that so they can go and uh, you can encourage them and you can give them some instructions. And so that's kind of the, the setting of this letter that Paul is writing to this church. Um, there's more background stuff, but it's not as relevant yet. Uh, but there's two things that I noticed from this first eight verses that I think uh, we can take and they can be a part of transforming our life. The first thing I want to point out is it's in verse 6, if you have your Bible still open there. In verse 6 he says, the gospel is bearing fruit and is growing throughout the whole world. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is that the way Paul sees it and understands it is that the kingdom of God and the gospel in their very nature are things that grow and develop and bear fruit. He, he uses kind of a garden illustration. Um, how many of you have gardened before or have had to deal with a garden before? Some of you maybe really enjoy it. Some of you, it's a huge chore to have to put up with. But basically, if you're like me, there's times where you have certain plants where you're just trying to tame them. You know what I mean? No matter how much you try and uh, cut it back or, or keep it at bay, it ends up when times, when, when the it's getting enough water, it's just going all over your fence, or it's all over your garden. It's, it's everywhere, right? Well, the gospel, according to Paul, is like that, but in a good way. It's, a, it's this, this seed that's been planted, and that whenever it's growing, it, it starts to envelop and take over all sorts of things. It starts to grow and influence, and, and to the point where this seed that was took to, to Colossae, it's growing there. And it's even growing and sprouting up all over the world. And so it makes me ask this question. What is it, and this is more me reflecting, and you may relate to this, but I often am not the best at, at feeling like I'm actively taking the gospel and sharing it with people. I'm, I'm a preacher, and yet for me, most of my Sundays, I'm proclaiming the gospel, but really, in many ways, I'm developing discipleship among people that already know Jesus. And yet... The gospel inherently is something that it's going to grow. It's something you can't control or contain. It's like glitter. Anybody ever used crafts where you have glitter? I, I hate glitter, but anytime Catherine's like, Landry Joe wants to use glitter, it's like, okay, well, we're going to be cleaning up from the house for about six months because you just can't. That's what the gospel is. When the gospel gets somewhere, it just starts to find its way into every nook and cranny, and I often wonder, what, what is it that maybe I don't do a good enough job in my life of making that something I do all the time. Where when I'm walking into Ace, and, yet, and they're like, is this all you're buying? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, this is all I'm going to buy. By the way, this isn't an advertisement for Ace, but if Ace would like to sponsor me, I've been spending a lot of money there uh, recently. So, but I, I, I go in there and they say, is this all you want? And I say, sure. But I want to tell you, like, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know the gospel? I know that that's a little unrealistic to imagine just saying that immediately. But that's what these people were doing. When Epaphras went and heard this message, he couldn't help but go back to his hometown of Colossae and say, we've got to start a community here. This is incredible. This is life-changing. I love movies, and I know a group of people that loves movies too. And when I see a movie that I love, by the way, since having kids, it's been a long time since I've seen a new movie. But when I see a new movie I immediate, that I like, I text those people because I say, I can't wait for you to know about this movie. It's amazing. You've got to go see it. For those of you who are foodies, I know Jack Davis is a foodie. You know, if, if uh, Jack goes and eats at a new restaurant, he can't wait to tell all his buddies, you got to try out this new restaurant at this place. That's, that's a reality. And yet, I don't do that very much with the gospel. I don't find myself frequently continually being awakened with the good news of how lost I was and how 
what Christ's sacrifice has done for me and how redeemed I am. And can, can any of you relate to that? Can any of you maybe relate to this thing that in its very nature was designed to be so exciting and so I can't help but tell people about this is something that we often kind of make a, a part of our life that's just like, oh yeah, you know, Jesus, you know, his death, his resurrection, yeah, that's, that's a thing. But it doesn't necessarily always turn into something that we can't contain, we can't hold back, and we, we can't keep from sharing. And I think that has to make us reflect on what, what is it that's maybe uh, keeping us from experiencing that. Because I want that. I want to be a part of that. If, if someone told me, I, I wrote this down, hopefully it makes sense, but if someone told me I am gripped by the gospel of Christ, but is not excited about sharing that with others, then part of me thinks, I don't know if you really are then. Just like if someone told me, I tried your Nana's bread and it was okay. I'd be like, oh, well, then you must have tried somebody else's bread. <laughs> because there's, in its very nature, it's going to be amazing. Like, you must have missed it. Because that, if you don't have that kind of reaction to it, then you, you didn't try it. By the way, uh, your, yeah, your mom's bread is pretty amazing too. Um, uh, if, if someone said, oh, you know, wait, are you, and you're Drew Ritchie? Are your parents Alan and Sharon? Yeah. Do you know them? Yeah, they're kind of rude. I'd be like, oh, well, you must have met someone else because you didn't meet my parents then. You know what I mean? And that's, that's kind of how I feel about this. If someone says, like, I know Jesus, I know the story, it's not something that really takes over my life and makes me want to share it with tons of people, then it's like, okay, well, then maybe you're not quite getting just how lost you were and just how good this grace is and just how transformative this new life can be. Um, the second thing, well, let me read this. This is from... This is a quote uh, from N.T. Wright that I really like. The seed which was planted in Colossae was what Paul describes as the word of truth of the gospel. Paul, when Paul thinks of someone, whether it's himself, or in this case Epaphras, or anyone else, talking to people about King Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, who is now the Lord of the world, he doesn't think of them simply as conveying information. Well, let me tell you something. He doesn't think of it as simply as that. This word is powerful. Whenever we hear the Word of God, think of the Word when, and God spoke and there was light and there was creation. That's the power of this Word. Um, the Word is powerful. When it is spoken, God Himself works through it, spreading the plant of new life, of color, of vibrance, of fruit in every place. The Word of the Gospel bears fruit and grows. Like the parable of the sower, good soil produces fruit tenfold. If you have been gripped by the Gospel and the Kingdom of Jesus Christ, and the new creation that comes from that, it's something we want to share with others. The second thing kind of comes back to our, uh, our, my velvet taco analogy. But part of what we see here is this question of what is the predominant message of our faith community? What is the thing that when Paul says, he begins, he says, we always, give, I, we always thank God. Timothy and I, we're so thankful to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. And then in verse 8 it says, uh, and who also told us, talking about Epaphras, he told us of your love in the Spirit. Paul is thankful because the church, for the church, because the seed of the gospel has begun to bear fruit. And the fruit is a good fruit. It's the fruit of love, of faith, of hope. And predominantly love. Steve said it in his opening prayer. He said, May the thing that we are predominantly known for is your love. The fruit has already begun to appear, and he's heard about it, and the thing that he's heard about is not about their holiness. It's not about their moral code. It's not about how nice their building is. 
there wasn't a church building back then. It wasn't about how uh, good their preacher was. It wasn't about how good their singing was. The thing that he heard that has stood out about this church is about their love for all God's people, their love that they have in the Spirit. The signs that Paul sees are ones that it doesn't simply just mean that they're nice to each other, this love. It's not that they just have good feelings for each other. It's that the things that matter to this in the behavior of this world, the things that are often associated with this world's behavior, lust, anger, lies, things that split up families and communities, have been replaced by kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, and acceptance of one another as members of the same family, even where there are major differences of race, background, and culture. This, as far as Paul is concerned, is the true sign of God at work, and he is thrilled and grateful to hear that the garden is doing well in Colossae. I want to use an analogy that I, I've been trying to think of a few, but I want you to imagine you're a business owner, or say you're starting a relationship, say you're starting something, as I said with the Velvet Taco. You're going to have things that you're trying to instill as your culture. This is what I want our business to be about, service, or with a relationship. I want our relationship to be about communication. You have these things, and guess what? Early on, the, the seeds are still being watered, but eventually a fruit is going to grow, and that fruit is going to say a lot about what the foundation of your relationship or the foundation of your job is about. And Paul is thrilled because the thing that has sprouted up is a, the, of the first fruits are these signs of love and care. If the key, tell, the key sign of new creation is love that marks out the Christian community, Paul can also speak of three main features of Christian living, faith, hope, and love. They are there in an individual Christian and in the community. From love, which binds the community together, the hope, the hope that looks eagerly forward to the time when God completes what he began in Jesus, Paul has heard that, the, that this is all there in Colossae. And our passage tells us that he is repeatedly thanking God who has done it all. So the question that I have for us is, what is the thing that we want to be the primary message of our faith community? And this message transcends location and time. I believe this is just as true for us, is that we want, as the Clifton Church of Christ here, to be known for our love. And I have good news for you. When I interviewed for lots of jobs, Anytime a church reached out to me or anytime I reached out to a church, the first thing that would happen is I would call all the people I knew and I would ask them about that church. Every person that I had a contact with, whether they were at ACU, whether they were a friend. My dad's been a minister in the Church of Christ for forever. He, I feel like he knows somebody that knows every church in Texas practically. And you know what the overwhelming message I heard from about this church was that that was a very loving church and a nurturing church that you couldn't have asked to go to a better place to start out and take care of a young preacher who's hasn't preached sermons before very often. When I called Matt Haynes and asked him about it, he said, when I left Clifton, I went to a church and had a pretty rough experience. And if it wasn't for the love that Clifton showed me, I probably wouldn't be in ministry still. That's the message that I heard. The first thing that I heard when I called about this church was a message of nurturing and loving. And what I want you to hear and want you to know is, we aren't, we, I, I feel like I haven't been here long enough to get to say we. Y'all aren't. I know I am a part, but it just doesn't feel like I deserve any credit for that because I haven't been here for two seconds. But y'all 
have developed that. Not because we have painted up here nurturing and loving church. It's not because we wrote it somewhere and people, oh, well, that's a nurturing and loving church. Sounds good. If, if that's how it worked, I would write, get a tattoo that says millionaire and see if that, you know, see if that made me all of a sudden have a lot of money. That's, that's not how it works. The way it works is it comes from effort and time and energy of making the main thing the primary thing you want to be known for, something that the community repeats, something that people know, and it takes time and energy. And I just want you to know, I love the fact, and I'm thankful for the fact that I get to be a part of a church where the predominant thing people say when they say about our faith community is our loving and the way we nurture. And that is something that just because that's what has been said doesn't mean it always will be. And my prayer is that we can continue that. We can continue to make that be the flagship, the trademark, the thing that we care about. And one thing that I'm thankful for, and then I'm going to wrap up. I don't believe anyone has the right to wear the name Christ or to put, the sign, put a word Christ on their sign if love is not the central thing that they care about. It's, it's one of those things where like, um, whenever you're a part of a group that has put in work and time and energy to, you know, I'm using a football analogy, you know, we went through two-a-days together. We have earned the right to get to wear the jersey. If someone comes in halfway through the season, maybe, you know, there's, sure, I want to be welcoming, you know, say they moved or something, but if someone who just had a chance to be on the team just once we started to get towards the playoffs said, I want to join the football team, you know why they're not going to get to? Because they, they didn't go through what we went through together to be a part of naming that. And the beautiful thing about Jesus, though, is that every single person, because of Christ's sacrifice, immediately gets a chance to join the team and gets to be a part of it and join the culture that we have where we've said we have worked hard because we call ourselves Christians, we wear his name, our sign wears his name, that the thing we're going to make what we're known for is love. And anyone who, no matter where you've been or where you've come from, the reason that sign and the reason we embody love is because of his spirit living within us, not because we've earned it, not because we've done anything special, but because we've joined him. And every single person, whether you're watching online or you're a visitor, you get a chance to join this group and this body that says love is going to be the primary thing we care about. And the reason we care about that is because it is the message that we have received, the truth of the gospel, that because of the love of Christ, we have new life. And I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it, and yet because I came and joined in his message, and this community is working to instill that furthermore, anyone can be a part of that. And if that's something that you would like to learn more about, I'd encourage you to come as we stand and sing.